Hey friends, Dave Hagen here. What's better to use, a credit card or a debit card? That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thanks, Nick. Today we're going to talk about credit versus uh, debit cards. Uh, I've got a couple of friends here in the studio. As always, Nick Appel, our announcer, and Brian Reed is here with us today. Welcome, Brian. How's it going, Dave? Thanks for having me. Always good to have you here. So one of the questions that I always get is, what's better, a credit card or a debit card? And of course, the first answer is neither. Go cash. But a lot of people use these, and I think it's important to compare and contrast the two and understand them and decide for yourself what's, what's best for you. So the first thing I want to talk about is the, the debit card. You know, when you have a debit card, it looks like a regular credit card. It's a piece of plastic or, you know, if you got a super duper one, it's made out of metal, but you carry it around in your wallet. It takes money out of your account. It takes money out of your pocket. You swipe and you use the pin, you type in your pin and it takes the money right out of your account right then and there. Or maybe it clears that night, but it out of your account. There's an estimated 680 million debit cards in the United States, according to a, the website WalletHub and uh, SEC filings by MasterCard and, and Visa, 680 million debit cards. A lot of people use these. A lot of people swear by these. In fact, I've heard folks that, that are very big advocates of, of debit cards because you're taking money out of your own account. You're not putting money on a charge account and, and paying it later. So folks with Credit problems, low credit scores, we'll, we'll get a debit card. Um, the nice thing is there, there's no interest involved in this. It's, it's your money. You're just taking money out of your account. Sometimes there's a transaction fee, sometimes not, but no interest at all. Now, a debit card doesn't help your credit rating because you're not really running up any credit. There's no rewards typically. Everyone's chasing the air miles or the cash back or the, you know, whatever you want, but you're not getting any rewards. Uh, a lot of people will say it's it's just as safe as a credit card, but it seems to me, and this is just my opinion, if the money's already out of your account, you're going to have a lot less leverage dealing with a fraudulent withdrawal as opposed to a credit account where it's charged on your account and you're not going to pay it at the end of the year if you dispute it. Now, I know people are going to say there's laws in place to protect debit cards and credit cards equally, just saying. As a lawyer, I know that possession is the beginning spot of any uh, negotiation that you're going to have with anybody. And it seems to me, once the money's out of your account, once they got your money, you're not in as good a spot. So that's what a debit card is. Now, to contrast, a credit card. Credit card, you charge, it goes on your account, and you pay, hopefully, at the end of uh, every month. You just swipe. There's no PIN. Now you don't even have to swipe. You can just put it in the little slot and your chip will read it or you can connect it to your your phone and your your phone interacts with the the credit card and you just go beep 
and you've paid for that. So it, I'm sorry, Dave. How do you go? It's a beep. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that you know I practice that a lot. <laughs> you could tell, right? You're going, wow, that's a that's a practice technique there. Um, and so it's it's a lot easier to use, and and you're using someone else's money for 20, 30 days, I guess. But there's an estimated 636 million cards just by the four majors, just by the four majors in the United States. What are the majors? Visa, Mastercard, Amex, and Discover. Those are considered the, the the big four, but if you look at all of the credit cards together, there's there's well over, well over a billion cards, so they are more predominant than the debit cards. The debit card use or the number of debit cards at least grew substantially until a couple of years ago, and I think those are uh, starting to recede a little bit. But a lot of people were using debit cards, whether they were debit out of the account or even even prepaid cards. People were charging up a card and then and then reducing off an account. So credit cards are good, though, because they help you with your credit rating because you are incurring debt. And we've said over and over again that your credit rating shouldn't be even close to one of your top three financial objectives. But if you can do something that helps your credit rating and you're doing it in a very conservative way, I guess that that doesn't hurt. Um, rewards, you can get rewards, whether it's um, airline miles, you know, if you get six billion um if you get six billion miles, you can you know fly across the United States. Um, some people like uh, you know cash back. We've talked about that in prior podcasts. The cash that you get back isn't significant, but if you're otherwise getting nothing back, I guess something's better than nothing. Um, they're safe because there is a dispute process, and in most states, your your liability for fraudulent charges is next to nothing. Um, now you're going to pay interest. You know, if you don't pay on time, you're going to pay interest. If you pay late, you're going to pay a late fee. If you're not a good shopper or user of, of credit cards, you're going to pay a, a membership fee. And we, we've talked about this in years past. Um, so they, these are very different, the debit card compared to the, um, uh, the credit card. A credit card, you've got to have pretty good credit. Debit card, not. So there's a lot of difference between the two. So what's better? What's better? Well, some say debit because you don't have the temptation to run up credit. Um, some people say it, credit card's better because it's easier. It's maybe a little safer, helps with your credit rating. Maybe you get, you know, rewards or something like that. Um, for me, personally, I think that if someone is paying off every single month with an automatic deduction or has a lot of discipline, credit card, I kind of like that, especially someone that's going to go on the internet once or twice a month and see what they've put on that account so that they're not going crazy. It's real, it's real easy to use a credit card and then uh, uh, not realize how much is built up over a period of time. But if you're looking at that, if you're tracking that, that data can be downloaded and inputted and directly inputted into your Quicken program so that you can track what you're doing. I, I kind of like that, although I'm not a big advocate of one or the other. Um, I like getting small rewards, and we've talked about this in um, you know in past episodes. Um, rather than playing a game with a big corporation about which cash back you're getting for what category for what month and what what bonus you're getting for moving, I like something pretty vanilla, something like one and a half cash back on any purchase at all. So I'm not worried about the rotating favorite category for the couple months, or I'm not worried about. Um, you know, is it 1% or 2% or is there a cap or a limit? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a busy person and frankly, I don't think I'm going to 
outthink a major corporation in terms of um, how I use that. And if they have to give me one and a half back on everything, period, I, I, you know, I kind of like that. Although, you know, if I was ever going to travel, I've been thinking more and more, Brian, about this, this black card with the lounge in a thousand airports around the world, right? <laughs> you and this black card. <laughs> <laughs> it's metal and it's got 41 patents. It's shiny and it's heavy. <laughs> and it's, it's got carbon fiber in it. Oh, my goodness sakes. <laughs> 41 patents. Yeah. What was the membership fee? 500 bucks? 500 a month. $500. Not a month, a year. 500 a year. Ouch. Ouch. So you give a lot of your savings back. But, you know, something bland, something vanilla, something that you can carry around. Um, you know, I, I like that. I like that a little better than a debit card. I like the thought of it, it paying every month. I like the fact that that would build up your credit a little bit. But if you're the kind of person that's going to go nuts, uh, don't get a credit card. Get the debit card. Those are those are equally good, equally valuable. I just shade a little bit to the credit card. What do you think, Brian? Well, maybe there's also the amount that you're spending monthly, because a lot of these debit cards do have a, a keep the change program. Yeah, you know, which is you know a great way to throw I don't know five extra bucks into your savings account every day, which you know over the co- course of a month, all right, that's another hundred fifty bucks that's in there. Yeah, over the course of a year, you know, you're over a thousand. Yeah. No, um, so there is a benefit. Yeah, you know that's you can increase your savings that way um, versus the credit card. Okay, you're going to get value out of these, you know, the points. But what does that translate to, cash wise? Well, remember we said, hey, if you're if you're putting uh, four thousand a month on your credit card, which hopefully you're not, but if you are, and you're getting you know two two percent back. Um, you know, that comes to like a thousand dollars a year, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if, if you're really putting 4,000 on your card and paying it every month, which is one of the fundamental assumptions, um, a thousand dollars at the end of the year, isn't going to seem like a lot to that, that kind of a spender. But mm-hmm. if you travel a lot, maybe, or if you spend a lot, maybe, or if you, you're able to put a, all the, the, the expenses of a business on a card, maybe, but you got to pay attention to it. And it's got to, you know, it's got to fit into your overall plan and you got to be able to, to handle that. Cause what you can't do is miss a payment. What you can't do is start to carry it over because human nature is such that it'll build up and they count on that. That's how they're making a lot of their money. That's one of their revenue sources, you know, membership fees, um, merchant fees and, and interest and late payments. That's, I mean, that's where they're making their money and, and that's great. If you own stock in Visa or MasterCard, <laughs> but it, it's not good for our individual listeners' pocketbook, and and they've got to be really careful if you know if that's what they're going to do. I don't know. I think that that's very interesting. I've I've I found it really interesting the last couple months when we've been talking about these different kinds of credit cards, um, just to see what's out there and kind of study them. And and of course now when I see the pitch and the promo, promotion on TV. It makes me even sicker to go, wow, they're really taking advantage of people. But, um, you know, they, they have their place if people are going to take care of them and, and have an appropriate place in their, uh, in their financial plan. So anyway, that's our read on credit versus debit cards. This is David Hagen, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. 
You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagen.com. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button in your app. You will automatically get a reminder each time Dave uploads a new episode. Or you can use the app to share this episode with your friends and family. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. Hey, today Brian is going to read the emails. So Brian, you've got a, a fist of emails there in front of you. What do you got? I do, Dave. Um, here we go with our first one. Hi, Dave. My wife and I have some equity in our home now that its value has gone back up. The house is worth 600000 and we have a $300,000 mortgage. Okay, that's pretty nice. Nice. We would like to put that equity in the house to work for us. So we were thinking about taking out a second mortgage and putting that money into a stock account. Hopefully we can make that money grow or earn interest on it. What do you think, Roger and Susan? Oh, this is easy. No, don't do it. Resist. I understand that you want to make that equity uh, work for you, but by taking it out and putting it in the market, you're, you're taking a lot of risk. First, let's think about what kind of um, um, interest rate you've got to get um, on that investment to make it worth your while. If you're, let's say your, your house note is 4% or the, the, the loan that you're going to get is 4%. Well, you've got to make 8 9% in the market to break even because you're going to have to pay tax on that, either at a capital gains rate or an ordinary income rate, and you've got to factor that in. So you're always going to be chasing, you know, this this number. Now, admittedly, the stock market's returned 11, 12, something like that percent over the last 40 years, and you could have made some money in the market if you hit it right, especially if you're out of the market three times that I can think of for a couple of years. But if you're sitting there and riding it for the long term, yeah, yeah, you might make 11, 12, but you could also hit the timing wrong and lose some money. And, um, you know, that's my second concern. The first concern being the interest rate that you've got to get pretty good. You got to have, you know, seven, eight percent every year to make take up for the tax and to break even. So I don't know if you're going to make that much money. The second the second concern that I have is, you know, you, you could lose a piece of that money. I saw people lose a lot of money in the dot com uh, bubble. I saw a lot of people lose a lot of money in the big recession. And uh, wow, if you take the you take the money out of the house and you lose it or some significant portion of it. Now you've just increased the mortgage. Now you've just increased the big boulder on the side of your back that you're going to carry for a number of years. And, and really, your, your goal should be to pay off that house as, as soon as possible. So yeah, I think you're taking a, a, a lot of risk. Now, the irony of this is um, <laughs> my wife and I did this exact same thing a, a number of years ago, maybe 20 years ago. And um, we did okay. Just barely, but we did okay. We didn't lose money. We made a couple bucks. It wasn't the big watershed event that you know we thought it was. We were young, and and many would say foolish. We would like to say optimistic, and um, uh, it worked out okay for us. But you know what? We were lucky. We were lucky. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it again. I'd look at some other things. You know, uh, uh, you know, trying to save more money, trying to. Um, um, pay that that house off as soon as possible, making sure that retirement's full up and, and that you're taking full advantage of those kinds of things and making those things work for you rather than, um, you know, sacrificing a place where you could potentially live for free the rest of your life if you can get that, if you can get that paid off. 
That's an interesting answer because I didn't follow my own advice. But uh, now that I'm a, a little further down the line than most, uh, my, my opinion's different. Is this one of those do as I say, not as I did answers? <laughs> it, it absolutely, it absolutely <laughs> Look, is. Look, we were morons. We got lucky. Don't do it. Yeah, that's right. That's, and, you know, there's a lot of things in life that, that come out that way. And, and uh, you think, wow, there, but for the grace of God, what do I? But, um, you know, the, when you've been around a little longer, you, you, you become, I like to think, a little wiser, a little more conservative, a little more measured in what you think you might do. and A little grayer. Actually, no, you just have the white hair. I'm just all gray. It's all, go- it's all going on. So, you know, I'd like to say that that's that much wiser, but, uh, you know, my wife would tell you different. So <laughs> what else you got? All right. Now we've got another one here from uh, Steve, who's saying, uh, Dear Dave, A few years ago, I bought a car and agreed to make payments for five years. Now, with three years left, the car is worth less than the balance on the loan. There we go. What makes the situation worse is I recently changed jobs to do something I really like, but it pays less. I really need to get out of these car payments. So I went to a car dealership, and they told me that this would be no problem. I could simply trade in the car, and they would wrap the new loan into a loan on the new car. This seems like a good way to fix my problems. Any thoughts? Hey, no problem. Just no problem at all. You're going to have a bigger car payment. This is a, this is a fool's errand. Uh, don't, uh, don't proceed with this. Uh, the problem, and we start with the initial premise, is financing a depreciating asset. And that's, that's your, the first problem, Steve. And it, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say that. But if I can get more and more people to buy cars for cash... I'd feel so much better about that. A car will depreciate. It'll be less than the balance. You can't just take the car back to the bank. If you do, they call it, at least in California, voluntary repo, and they're going to take it down to the car auction and sell it, and they're going to get way less than it's even worth. And then the outstanding portion of the loan that's unpaid is called a deficiency, and now they're going to sue you for that. You're going to have to pay it, negotiate it, do something to deal with that. And... Most people walk around with cars that are just barely breaking even, but people who went big initially, who didn't put down payments initially, are going to be upside down. So what they do is they, on paper, pay off your loan, take the car back, pay off the loan, and that deficiency, they wrap into the new loan. So the loan that you would get to buy the new car has an additional amount based upon the old bad deal. So now you've just compounded the deficiency and made it worse. And almost by definition, not always, but almost always, your payment's going to go up. So they haven't done you any favors. They've, they've just made you step in two poops instead of one. But they've made a sale. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. They've made a sale. They've, you know, they've made the financing company happy. Works out great for them. You know, yeah. So what is, what are some things you can do, Steve? Well, I mean, I guess... You could figure out what the car is going to bring if you sell it on Craigslist or something like that. Because if you if you do the work to sell it on Craigslist, you'll get more than than a dealer will pay you, or more than one of these places that'll pay you that buy cars back. Figure out what the deficiency is, save it up, and then uh, you know when you sell it, you walk into the bank with the pink slip and say, "Here's the money on the purchase. Here's my deficiency. I want you to clear title and give it to the new buyer." That's a good way to do it, but you got you got to pay money to get out of your deal, and that's always un, unpleasant. You could, um, you know, just 
turn it in and suffer the deficiency, but your credit's going to get beat. You're going to have a deficiency. They're not going to sell it for as much as you could if you sell it on Craigslist, assuming that it's in reasonable shape because it's not being sold at the auctions downtown. And um, then try and negotiate the deficiency. But once you turn the car in, you've lost all your leverage. You don't have possession. They don't have any incentive to sell it for the you know highest, most responsible price. And you're going to end up paying more. So I wouldn't do that. Um, another thing you could do would be just to, oh man, just continue to just take the pounding and get out of it, you know, finish the payment. And if you're buying it, you're going to, it's going to be worth something at the end and you can flip that over and, and get another car for the amount that, you know, this car is worth at the end, you know, by selling your car, getting a new, a newer car and then start saving up for the next car. I, you know, I'd like to see people saving up for the next car rather than paying off the current one. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, Dave, I know that there are lease swapping websites where if you have a leased vehicle and you want out, you can put it up there and somebody agrees to come in, take over the lease payments, um, small fee. Do you know if there's anything similar to that for uh, a purchased vehicle? Any websites like that where you're making payments, you own it, but you're just want, wanting someone else to come in and take it? I mean, it's an interesting concept, but uh, at least with lease swapping, you know, at the end, you're going to have nothing. You just turn the car in. Mm -hmm. So someone's going to pick up the balance of your payments. Here, if someone takes over your deal in a car and you're upside down, they'd be picking up a deal where they would owe more money than the car's worth, potentially. I don't don't know why anyone would do that. I'm not aware of any site that that does that, but it's an interesting concept. You know, I was looking just recently at at lease swap and... um, it looks like a great concept, but what you can see from the leases is uh, everyone's trying to get out of these really expensive leases and get some other chump, I mean, person to like pick up and pay. And Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure you just said chump. I know. Right there. <laughs> that's a, is that a legal term? Uh, but yeah, you, you know, that's in Black's dictionary. Yeah. You know, lease payments that are like 12, 15, 1700 a month. Who does that? I mean, I don't care if it's a, a Rolls Royce. Who does that? That's that's crazy to me. So um, anyway, that's what I would do in a situation like that. Tough spot to be in. It's easy to sit here and talk about it and say, hey, don't do it. Once you're in it, it's tough. But hopefully this will serve as a you know a, a lesson or some information for other listeners not to get stuck in, in that kind of a jam. So that's all we have time for today. Tune in next time. I want to talk about side hustles and the new gig economy should be interesting. This is Dave Hagen, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagen.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.